All right, I'm glad to uh, be continuing our series this morning on uh, Ready or Not, lesson, uh, our message number four. And again, if you missed any of the past sermons um, from this series, they are all online uh, on our church website, and I'd love for you to be able to, uh, to um, listen to them. It's, it's so important. If there's ever a sermon series that I wanted um, our whole church to hear and listen to, um, that's part of the reason why I have these handouts, um, so that we're remembering what's going on, and that is uh, just so that, you know, you know what we're all about. Now, if you've been a part of it, you should know, but this is kind of just really honing in on some of the things. So um, let's, let's jump in today uh, in message number four, love in action. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. The verses will be on the screen, Luke chapter 10. Um, we'll be looking at uh, those scriptures in just a moment. Um, but as we are, uh, you know, getting ready to jump in, let me just remind you of kind of where we're at um, and what we've already gone over. These are our core values. We've talked about Bible preaching, the Word of God communicated, um, part of our core values. We've talked about authentic worship, the praise of God given. We've talked about having a welcoming spirit. That was last week, the last message on not just uh, the Word of God communicated and the praise of God uh, given, but the heart of Jesus shown through our spirit as a church. Uh, today we're talking about love and action, the hands of Jesus working, and then we'll be talking about uh, a stand for truth, hopefully next week, the truth of the Bible lived out. There may be more that we'll add to this. I had an idea this morning for another core value, uh, so we may have a bunch of core values, I'm not sure, but these are what we got so far, these five, and uh, the purpose statements for the first three, we've talked about them, I want you to remember them, I want them to be kind of in your mind and in your heart so you know what we're about. Bible preaching, that purpose statement said, coastline is a place where the Bible is preached clearly, the truth is spoken in love, the gospel is shared continually, and the word of God is the authority. Authentic worship, coastline is a place where God is glorified, Christ is magnified, and the church is edified. We will worship from deep in our souls, recognizing our great need and God's greater grace. And I hope that you, especially in our time of worship in the morning when we sing together, that you remember this as our purpose. When we, and we can come in, we can come in worn out from the whole week or, or, or having a hard morning or whatever, but may we unite as one worshiping the Lord and remembering, man, I need this. I need this word. I need this worship this morning, uh, and, and, and I want to give it to God. It's not about me. It's really taking our focus off of ourselves and putting it entirely on the one who deserves it. Not unto us, but unto thee be all the glory. And uh, authentic worship. Last, we talked about a welcoming spirit. Coastline is a place of grace. By remembering God's love for us, we will strive to show a welcoming spirit to all who come. All who, enter, all who enter our doors will know that they are loved, valued, and important. And that's what we've gone over so far over the last few weeks. And today we're continuing on this core value of love in action. Love in action. What does this mean for Coastline? What does this core value mean for us? Love in action. Not just saying that we care. And I think that's your first blank. Not just saying that we care, but showing that we care. Anybody can say that. Anybody can say, I love you. Uh, anybody can say, hey, I really care about you, or hey, you're really important to me, or hey, anybody can, can speak words, but we got to put feet to our words. We, listen, we gotta, uh, you've heard the, the old adage, actions speak louder than words. 
I don't want to be a church that just says, we love our community and, 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 and we want to reach out, but then not actually reach out, just kind of reach inward and help each other out. I don't want that kind of ministry here. Listen, I don't, want to, I don't want to just talk about reaching out. I want to actually reach out. Not just saying that we, we love our community, but stepping into our communities and reaching into our communities and making a difference through the love of Jesus Christ. Jude 22, and if some have compassion, making a difference. I want to make a difference in our community. And, and that's what this core value is all about, love in action. And there's really no greater story in the New Testament of love and action besides the gospel of Jesus Christ, but no greater story that Jesus told of love and action than the story found in Luke chapter 10 about the Good Samaritan, about the Good Samaritan. We're going to go through this passage together, these verses, these 12 or so verses in Luke chapter 10, and kind of just outline it a little bit and, and grab some application from it that's really going to focus on this core value of love and action. We've come to the story here, and Jesus is there, and people are listening to him, and he's telling stories, and he's, he's teaching them, and he's sharing truth, and, and this lawyer comes to him, this lawyer, not lawyer in, in a civil sense like today, but, but a lawyer of the Old Testament law. This guy knew it all. And we see, uh, first off, in your first blank here, we see pride shown in these first few verses. Pride shown. And you'll see what I mean in these first five verses or so. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 begins, and here's the story. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So here we find this, this lawyer, this, this uh, lawyer of Old Testament law who knew it well, probably since he was a child. And as he got older, man, that was his job. That was his calling on his life that he wanted to do. He was just someone that knew the Old Testament law from the back to the front, every part of it. He knew it well. Now in the Mediterranean world, in this uh, New Testament life, in Bible times, questions are rarely perceived as as requests for information it wasn't like this guy really wanted to know it wasn't like he was deep in this like i need eternal life and i'm a sinner and i need to know in, in that time questions were never really meant to just ask information in this kind of a setting they were almost always viewed with suspicion as a challenge to personal honor so this guy was trying to make a scene this guy was trying to make a mess the hope is that the person who is asked the question looks like an idiot and looks foolish and doesn't know what to say. And, and, and obviously you know at this time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are really trying to find a reason to, to charge Jesus Christ with some kind of crime. So they have people in their circles and in their corners that are trying to trip Jesus up and test him. And the Bible clearly states in this passage that this is exactly what this lawyer is trying to do. His intent was to test Jesus. What shall I do? He stands up in the center so everybody can see him and trying to make this scene and make Jesus look foolish and says, Master, what shall I? Even calling him Master, you can, there's just some sarcasm there and there's just, it's just fake. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And we see Jesus' response. He asks him a question, which is great. The way he responds, he says, well, what does the law say? 
you know, what, what Reed is now. He, he, knew, he knew everything about this guy, first of all, but he knew people around that are listening probably knew as well that this guy knew his stuff. And he, what is he? He answers correctly. He goes back to the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, and he says, Well, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus had, had earlier uh, said that. Hey, all the laws and prophets hang on these two commandments. So this lawyer knew the right answer. And he says, oh, well, here it is. And he answers correctly. But he didn't ask this question for any legitimate intention. He really didn't want to know. He just wanted to embarrass Christ. And he wanted him to maybe to say something that would get him in trouble so that they could arrest Jesus and he could be guilty of some crime. We see Jesus answers him. It's great. After he answers in verse 27, Jesus said in verse 28, and he said unto him, thou hast answered right, this do and thou shalt live. He says, hey, you're right. Now go do that and you'll live. Now, the lawyer in this story, as we're getting, we're not even really into the parable yet, which is really the crux of the message, but we're, we're kind of showing what's going on with this guy. This guy gets so annoyed by this answer that Jesus gives him. When he answers it, he goes, okay, you do that and you'll live. And suddenly this guy, it says he was willing to justify himself. He, he's so self-righteous. And he's so self-justifying that when, when Jesus says it to him, he doesn't think like how much, about how much he loves God or how much he loves his fellow man. He immediately thinks, well, he's got something wrong here because I'm already doing all these things. I, I already love God like I'm supposed to. I already love people like I'm supposed to. And he totally misses what Christ is trying to teach him. And he really totally misses the whole message of, uh, uh, that, that Christ is preaching here of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He thinks he's all set. All he's thinking about is, well, maybe you've got a, maybe you've got a different definition of neighbor than I do. In, in those times, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, their neighbor to them was those who were just like them. The, right, the righteous people, the religious people. They, they didn't see anybody else, the, the, the lower class people. Man, they were not their, in their hearts, they were not their neighbors. Their enemies, they were not their neighbors. So he's thinking, well, I, I got all my friends. I love these guys, and I, I'm already all set. He is oblivious to his true condition. He's oblivious to who he really is. He, he is hostile to this notion that he is not righteous. How dare he say that I should go do that? I'm already doing it. What is everybody else going to think about me? He just told me that I should do those things, and then I can live. But I'm already doing those things. I'm already justified. I'm already righteous. I already have eternal life. He, he just thinks it's crazy to believe that he is not right with God. And that's why we see the pride shown here in this lawyer at the beginning of this story. And often when we think of this parable of the Good Samaritan, which is what we're looking at today, we think of the priest that walks by on the other side. We think of the Levite that, that, that comes over and sees but still doesn't help him. We look at this lawyer full of pride and, and we think, wow, what a bunch of jerks. I'm so glad I'm not as bad as those guys. And the reality is, church, I hate to tell you this, but we have to look at this story in the Bible and this lawyer and this priest and this Levite. We have to look at them and, and we have to see ourselves in them. Because when we don't, then we're missing it. We're missing what Jesus is trying to teach us about our, the state of our hearts. That's desperately wicked. Who can know it? We have to, we, when we condemn those guys, really, we, we're, we should be condemning ourselves. Because we have to be honest enough to see ourselves in those people and the lawyer 
and in the priest and the Levite. Because that's how we most often behave. That's how we are most of the time. So we see the pride shown here. What else do we see, though? Finally, Jesus begins to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. And number two, not only do we see pride shown in the lawyer, but now we see uh, in the beginning of the story, priorities misplaced. Priorities misplaced. Verse 30, Jesus begins to tell this story. And Jesus answering said, verse 30, there's priorities misplaced. Verse 30 is on the screen if you need it. Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. So in the beginning of this story, which, by the way, I know that all of us know this story, we've heard it, the truth of the matter is a lost world knows this story. How many hospitals are named, you know, Good Samaritan Hospital? We use that term, hey, that guy's a Good Samaritan, because people know this story, that there was a guy who got hurt, and this guy came and helped him when others didn't. And they use that to say, you should give to this charity and this charity, and we use that story, but really there's so much more to it than just, just giving to charity. See, in this story, we see that this Jericho Road, if you look at the history of it, the Jericho Road was known to be a dangerous road. It was known to be a place where you didn't go alone, where you didn't go at night. Uh, it's kind of built into the mountains, so there's a lot of hiding places for, for robbers and for, for thieves and for people that are looking to do harm to people. So it was a dangerous road. Jerusalem is 3,000 feet above sea level. Jer Jericho is much, much lower. This is a downhill thing. Man, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And obviously for this poor guy, going wherever he was going, it was a bad day for him. It didn't go well. He's, he's, he's lost everything, probably down to nothing but his skivvies, and every, they took everything that he has, and he's half dead on the side of the road, beaten so bad, it says. I mean, if you're half dead, you're beaten pretty bad, that nobody knows who's, who this guy even is, more than likely. And in Mediterranean times, in New Testament Bible times, that's dangerous, because helping this poor half-dead dude on the side of the road carries a risk, carries a risk. Remember, Jews, you know, they didn't help just anybody. They helped their own. They had a lot of enemies. This priest that comes by probably riding a donkey, you know, this elite status of priest and, 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 and probably coming from Jerusalem, doing his priestly duties and notices this poor victim on the side of the road and wonders and probably knows in his heart, I should help this guy. But he knows that if this guy's dead or, or if he's not a Jew, if he's non-Judean, and he touches this guy, he's going to be defiled according to their Old Testament law. And if he's defiled, he's going to have to go back to Jerusalem and cleanse himself, and that would be a very shameful thing. And he just finished doing all this really big-time stuff with a priest up there. So whatever, we don't know, the scriptures don't tell us, but just think about what could be going on. Think of the, the context of this story in, in a Old Testament or New Testament times. This guy, whatever reason decides, nah, I'm not doing it. Whether it was his reputation, that was a priority. Whether it was his destination towards Jericho, that, that was his priority. Whatever it was, his priorities were more important than this poor guy on the side of the road. The risk was too great for him. He didn't want to have to go back to Jerusalem if he touched this guy, defiled himself. So he keeps going. 
The Levite comes after him. And it says that he even came and saw him, came and looked upon him. Now, we know that the road is not straight, you know, historically, and you, can, you could actually go there and walk the Jericho Road if you really wanted to. But, but you have to think that more than likely, even though the road's not super straight, there's a lot of, you know, viewpoints. That when this Levite comes, he, he maybe even saw the priest from afar off kind of stop and then keep going. So he comes and, 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 and he may have seen the priest's response to this poor guy. And, and, and if the priest didn't give first aid, then really why should the Levite? These, these sons of Aaron, they weren't technically priests, but they helped in the, in the temple. And they helped with the temple duties. And they had some, some, uh, you know, some reputation as well. And, and, and he said, man, if I help him, but the priest didn't, that would be kind of insulting to the priest. And ah, whatever the reasons are, he does the same thing. He passes on. Priorities are misplaced. Again, we don't know for sure why these guys decided not to help. All Jesus told us was that they just didn't. So we could use our imaginations. We could look at history. We could look at context. We could study out how people acted in those times. And, but we don't know. All we know is that they had a more important priority in their mind than to help this guy lying on the side of the room. They had better things to do. In our lives, church... In our life, when, there, when a need arises, oftentimes, according to our flesh, according to our sin nature, you know, we got better things to do. we we got more important things to spend our money on. I'm trying to save up for this. You know, I can't waste time on that. Well, what about me? What about my job? What about my family? What about my kids? What about my sense of comfort? My sense of fulfillment? And oftentimes, the blessings of God in a family, in children, in a job, in, in finances even. The blessings of God, they, they, they're, they're good things. But, but, but like I've said in the past, a good thing can become a bad thing when that thing becomes a ruling thing. Man, children are a blessing of God. And we're called to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But oftentimes, oftentimes our kids can take the place of of what God has for us. And our kids are more important than anything in our lives. And, and can I tell you this? That is not the way that God intended it. Are they supposed to be very high on the list? Yes! But man, Christ, what God is calling us to do. I have, man, I was a youth pastor for seven years. And I can't tell you how many times I saw a parent that was so enthralled and, and this, the difference between being involved in your kid's life, which we should be, and being almost obsessed to where, like, they could do no wrong. When there was an issue, it's like, well, no, little Johnny would never do that. Or, I, you know, all of my... And, and their whole sense of comfort and their whole sense of peace and joy was found, was, was founded on their children. So if that kid decided to just, you know walk away from mom and dad or get annoyed at mom and dad, man, that, per that parent's world just fell apart and, and, and their entire sense of well-being was based on that, on that teenager, on that child. It could be the same with a marriage. It could be the same with a job. When things at work aren't going well, then you're not doing well. When things aren't going well in this relationship, then you're not doing well. And we, we man, we, we miss it. Our priorities are misplaced. What should our priority be? Jesus said in Matthew 6, we see, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things 
shall be added unto you. Priorities were misplaced. Very easy to see that in these few verses of the priest and the Levite. And I hope easy to see in our own lives when we think about it. Man, be honest with yourself this morning, church. I'm talking about having love in action. And listen, we'll never practice, we'll never show love in action, we'll never put feet to our words if we can't first see that the problem is in me, the problem is in you. We have to look inward. We have to be honest with ourselves and recognize that maybe not all the time, but oftentimes our priorities are misplaced. What else do we see? We see pride shown. We see priorities misplaced and we see plans sacrificed. We see plans sacrificed. And we see this in the next two verses in Luke 10, verse 33 and 34. The priest had already walked on by. The Levite had already, had already come even close and maybe looked at the victim and walked on by. And in verse 33 we see, but a certain Samaritan, remember that, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him that that. The Greek word for compassion in the New Testament literally means an inner gut feeling. Just, man, almost such compassion, such care, such concern that he physically felt it. He had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The Samaritan is the shocking, you know, uh, you know twist in the story in this, in this parable that Jesus is telling. Remember, Jesus is more than likely here talking to religious leaders, obviously the lawyers there, and to Jewish people. The Jews, and you probably know this, hated the Samaritans. That's why when they were traveling uh, um, from Jerusalem back uh, north to, to uh, you know, the northern part there, they would, Samaria's right in the middle, they would go around. They would take the long scenic route because they wouldn't even go through Samaria. We know the story of Jesus with the woman at the well who was a Samaritan woman. And he said, I must need to go through Samaria. Listen, they hated these people. These people in the Old Testament had, had, a, a, you know, had children with the Gentiles, with the enemies, and they were hated. All throughout the Old Testament, you see that, man, they hated these people. They, they, they at one point even burned their temple down, history shows. They hated them. But this hated enemy in the story is the first to feel compassion. You can almost hear the gasp in the crowd when Jesus says this. And then a certain Samaritan came. They were probably like, oh, this guy's probably going to finish him off and kill him. But no, no. He showed compassion. And they're probably just like, what? Looking around like, Is he, did he say what I think he said? No way. The Samaritan had compassion. Jesus tells him that he offers him his first aid and his wine and oil and, and to soothe and these ointments and just to, to heal this man who's probably in severe pain, half dead. And in the story, we don't think about this. We don't really think about this because we're not Jewish or Samaritan, nothing like that. But the people listening to the story, listen, the, the Samaritan carried a great risk in helping this guy. This Jewish man that's more than likely, you know, if he was a Samaritan man laying on the side of the road, then, then Jesus would have mentioned that. This is probably one of the, their people. This is a Jewish man. This Samaritan carried a risk because here's the thing. That guy, when he wakes up, may hate the one who saved him because they hated Samaritans. Samaritan wine and Samaritan oil were considered impure and would have made this you know, likely Jewish victim 
you know, impure too from being healed by it. That's it. That's how crazy. That's how crazy the racism was at that time between those two groups of people. That if he will, he the risk that this guy carried in helping him was that this guy could wake up and, and be like, "What are you doing? Get away from me!" Listen, this poor Samaritan, in a sense, is you know, you've heard the phrase, you know, "You damned if he does and damned if he doesn't." He he's, he loses either way in some cases. The Samaritan then does what the priest might have done, but didn't. He places the victim on his animal, and he takes him to an inn, and he continues to care for him. Man, it's insane. Now, a part of the story that we don't always mention is the fact that the Samaritan obviously was headed somewhere. I doubt he was like, I'm going to go search the Jericho Road and see if there's anybody lying on the side of the road half dead that I can help. He obviously, more than likely, had a destination that he was going to. He was headed somewhere. But because of compassion, because of love, because of care, he set his own priorities aside. He set his own plans to the side, his own desires aside for the need of another. The, the great need of this guy who's half dead on the side of the road. And, and, and church, that's hard for us. We live in America, a free country of blessing, of, of so much given to us. The, the freedoms that we have, the lives that we get to live. As Americans, it's a, as, as Christians in America, it's amazing. And for us to think about this Samaritan man who set his needs aside in such a big way and the risk that he carried in doing so, I mean, that's, that's hard for us to understand. It's, it's, it's not as simple as you know, clicking pay now on a, on a GoFundMe link on Facebook when you're scrolling and saying, oh, I'll give to this. It's not just about rounding up, you know, your, your final price at Stop and Shop. Would you like to donate 78 cents to make it an even dollar? And, you know, to this? It's, it's so much bigger than that, church. Sometimes it's about changing our plans for the needs of another. Not, not based on our own morality and how good of a person we are, but on the grace and the love of God in our lives. You know, we think of this Samaritan man who, who stopped, who helped as others walked on. May we not live that way, church. But I have plans. I, I have goals. I have dreams that I want to fulfill. I have, I have things that I want to do with my life. That's often what our choices and our decisions scream louder than our words. Our choices reek of selfishness and self-servedness. My choices, my decisions, my heart reeks of selfishness and self-servedness so often. What I want to do, what I want to accomplish, the, the dreams that I have, the things that I want to do with my life, they come first. We have to remember, if we are true Christians, if we are true followers of Jesus Christ, we will live for others. If we are true followers of Jesus Christ, we will live for others. We'll set our desires aside when needed. We'll set our plans aside when God's calling us. We'll set our preferences aside and, our and we'll, we'll set it all aside for the needs of somebody else. I'm not saying it will always be easy. I'm not saying it'll always feel good. But if we're true followers of Christ and His love is truly shining through us, we'll do it. We'll do it in our purpose 
will be changed. Our purpose will be changed. We see at the end of this passage, this story, whatever this guy's destination was, this Samaritan man, he, he changed it. And suddenly his purpose changed. Whatever he was setting out to do was set aside, and he had a new purpose. He was going to take care of this poor soul that was left half dead on the side of the road. Luke 10, 34, And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. And the story's over, and Jesus says, Which of... Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he just showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. We see at the end of this story of the Samaritan, you know, in, in contrast to the robbers, he actually promises to return and pay any additional expenses. So the robbers took everything from this guy, but this Samaritan goes the extra mile and brings him to this end, stays with him, helps him, and says, hey, I'm going to come back whatever is spent on this guy for his help and his healing, I will pay it. This is really the craziest part of the story. Because if this guy doesn't make it, let's just say he dies. Let's just say his wounds are just too much and he passes away. His family, who, who are not going to be able to find the robbers, they may kill him, this Samaritan man. They hated them that much. Or the victim survives if he lives, if he's okay, he may rage at the Samaritan for making him impure with the, with the wine and the oil. It's, so the fact that he's actually going to come back is insane. The man not only took him to the inn, but he stayed with him. He took him to the inn and he put him down to rest. He stayed at his side all night, probably continuing to put wine and, and help him and heal him and maybe change out bandages, whatever needed to be done. He, he probably gave him some food and comfort and water, cleansing all night. And he said, well, how do you know he stayed all night? Well, the Bible, Jesus said, you know, on the morrow, when they left on the morrow, after he took him to the inn, cared for him the next day. So we know that he stayed with him all night. In the inns at that time, these are never talking about like a holiday inn. We're talking about a small side of the road kind of place in historical Bible times that was just kind of when you're traveling somewhere that you can stop really quick for the night. Somewhere where you can stop and stay and rest. It's amazing. Amazing that this Samaritan, the enemy of the Jewish people, took all night vigil with this guy out of compassion. And then the next day when he's getting ready to leave, he takes out two pence or two denarii, which is the, the, uh, you know, um, the money over there, the way they, they pay for things, and, and that's a day's wage at that time. And just so you know how much that would pay for, you know, they found a, a, a you know, in, in digging and in things like that, in archaeology, they found a sign, a board that was like a sign for some kind of inn in the Roman Empire of that time. And the nightly cost that they found on this historical piece of, you know, archaeology was one thirty-second of a denarii paid for a night. So that means that this guy giving two pence, two denarii, Paid for, for two months' stay. Two months. So what's the point of that? I say, why did you give me that useless piece of information? It's not useless because here's what I'm saying. This guy not only takes care of him, gives all of his own stuff to help him, gives this guy two pence, pay whatever he needs, two months' stay. The point is, that is lavish love for a stranger. 
for an enemy. That is lavish love, the ultimate attention that could be given. He goes over there. He checks him out. He maybe more than likely as he's traveling and he sees this guy, probably had to maybe tear parts of his own clothes to bandage him up. Tears your own clothes, bind up the wounds, pour oil and wine, perhaps rubbing it into the wounds and the bruises and the, and the aches. Put him on your animal. Take him to the inn. Provide him to stay for two months. Stay overnight with him. And that, if that's not enough, what do you do next? You say to the innkeeper, hey, whatever you spend on him, I'll come back and I'll, I'll repay you. Now, listen, that's a big formula for extortion. That guy could have, that innkeeper could have paid, did whatever he wanted. He's telling the innkeeper, whatever you spend on this guy to help him, I will come back and pay it back. And that's the whole point of this. This is lavish love. Amazing generosity for a complete stranger to one who is his enemy, who is hated by him. But that's what the Lord is saying here in this story to the lawyer. This is, this is loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Because we would do those things for us, wouldn't we? We would do those things for ourselves. Of course we would. Listen, have, have, have I ever done that for anybody else? Have I ever done that for anybody else in that condition? No, but listen, I make sure that I get the best attention when I'm hurt. <laughs> you know, I'll grab that Excedrin so fast if I got a headache. I don't need no Tylenol. Give me the Excedrin. Give me the strong stuff, you know? I want to feel better. We make sure we get the best doctor. We make sure our needs are met. We have the best care, we have the best resources, we do that for ourselves. But this is a simple story of lavish love, of, of limitless love, of, uh, uh, for somebody, by a, by a person who is serving his enemy, who he didn't even know. You see the, the, the beauty of that? Really, the, the crazy beauty of that? The, the, the recklessness of that? Like, they're not even thinking. Jesus asked the question in verse 36 to the lawyer when he finishes his story. And everybody's probably sitting there with their mouths just wide open like, this is crazy. A Samaritan? Jesus says, asks, which now of these three thinkest thou was a neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And the lawyer immediately, probably immediately is just ashamed by this question because he knows the answer and he answers it correctly he says well the guy that showed him mercy was Samaritan probably didn't want to answer probably like kind of you know just kind of mumble it out like what did you say no yeah the guy who showed him mercy see the lawyers the lawyers question to Jesus at the beginning of all this when he was trying to really justify himself you know you must have a different definition of neighbor than I do because I'm pretty much I'm pretty sure I'm loving my neighbor his question was, who is my neighbor? And Jesus' question was, to whom must you become a neighbor? Jesus flipped the whole thing on him. This guy's trying to trip Christ up and trying to trip him up, make him look like an idiot, and suddenly Jesus, in love and in grace, says, hey, buddy, you're missing it. Not who is your neighbor, but to, to whom must you become a neighbor? The lawyer realizes in this story, the way he answers, he that showed him mercy, that one must become a neighbor to anyone and everyone in need. And that truth is for us as well. One must reach out with compassion to all people, even to one's enemies. Too often this parable has been read as kind of a simple story of kindness. Like, be nice to everybody, you know, and, and help everybody. And do, and, and yes, you can take some of that truth out of there, but it's so much more than this. This is the story of a hated 
outsider, a Samaritan, extending compassionate love to his enemy. That's a whole lot bigger than just a nice little moral story of being nice to people. And really, this story reminds me of another story. When we were dead in our sin, when we were broken, when we were empty, when we were lying half dead on the side of the road with no hope, with no answer, with nothing, a man came who was hated by many, wasn't he? And he knelt down and he healed my wounds and he took care of me and he paid my debt and he died on the cross for you and he died on the cross for me. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was God, died for me because of me. Really, the enemy in the story. Because I needed him even when I didn't realize it. Listen, I, I see my, I'm the priest, I'm the Levite. And I'm the guy on the side of the road, half dead, in need of something. Man, I see Jesus Christ in that Samaritan, don't you? Who gave all, who gave all, who paid it all. But I couldn't pay that debt, and he did it for me. And because of that great love for me, I must love the people around me. Because of that ultimate sacrifice made for me, I must sacrifice. Not out of guilt, not, not out of debt, but out of love. Not, well, I better serve people so I can repay all the... No, 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 it's just out of love. The love God shown to me poured out into others. Jesus was teaching this lawyer and all those listening and all of us here today an important truth. we got to forget trying to decide who qualifies for our love. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta forget that. We gotta stop having all these limitations and all these different things. We have to demonstrate love that knows no qualifications. Everyone in our path, all the time, everybody that we see with a need is to be loved. Ooh, that's hard for some of us. Some of us naturally we don't fall into that category of just loving people just because. The truth is, we're all we all struggle. But man, that is what Christ is calling us to. Everyone in our path all the time with a need is to be loved, loved lavishly, sacrificially, generously, tenderly, limitlessly, kindly, loving as long as the need exists and taking care of it. Love in action. Every person, even if that person is your enemy, must be shown compassion and love and it will make a difference. Jesus said, to that lawyer, and he's saying it to us this morning. He said, go and do thou likewise. Clear cut, clear instruction. Don't have to read between the lines. He said, everything I just talked about that that Samaritan did for that enemy, for that man, go and do thou likewise. And I can just picture it in my head, all those Jewish people, all those religious leaders turning and being like, well, I can't do that. Man, I can't, I can't do that. Man, anything else I'll do. But I'm not doing that for that Samaritan. I can't do that. In church, oftentimes we have the same heart. We have the same mind. When we, when we hear a message like this, when we read the scriptures and God speaks to our heart, when we're in line at the stop and shop and someone needs help and someone needs love and someone's short a few bucks, man, in our hearts oftentimes we're like, well, I just kind of look the other way so I don't have to be a part of this. Man, may we give that up. 
May we rest in the love of Jesus Christ. As a church, I'm telling you, as a church, I'm going to try to lead the way and train our people. And as a church, we are going to give. We are going to act. We are going to do. We are going to be need meters. We're going to be help givers. We're going to be love showers. Man, that's what we're going to be. I'm going to constantly search for opportunities for our church to serve our community. It's so much bigger than just saying, hey, like, we love our community. And honestly, uh, we're going to probably at one point get a van or something to pick people up. It's even bigger than just picking people up for church. It's really not that hard to grab someone and bring them to church and bring them home. That's not a big deal. I'm talking about next step stuff, next level stuff. We have got to work together to show the love of Jesus in our lives to all those within our reach. And I want you to know I'm talking in addition to sharing the gospel. We know that that's the greatest way we can show love is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yes, I know that. We're going to talk about that in another message. But I'm talking about beyond sharing the gospel. That is the greatest gift we can give to someone. But people don't always recognize. I'm talking about to the, in, in another way, whether it's cleaning up a community park as a church or hosting you know, the football team for a dinner to try to be a blessing to them and their families, passing out water at, 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 a, at a 5K or a run here on the Cape or bringing gift baskets to the police station, you know, uh, filling school backpacks for needy kids, getting Christmas presents for struggling families, you know, helping you know, this family, the Pratt family that lost their house in a fire. We're going to help them. I already wrote a letter. I already got a check drafted up for them. We're going to be a blessing to them. That's love in action, church. That's showing the love of Jesus Christ to people that don't even know Christ. They don't even know us. Listen, and it's not so that they can come to church. Hey, let me give you this check so that you can come to our church. And no, no, no. It's like, hey, we're just going to love you like Jesus loves you. Listen, there are countless opportunities to practice love and action, and this is what we're about. And, and I put this part on the, the handout there. Some of you have some great ideas. Roll around that old mind of yours of ways that we can serve our community, and I want you to write them down. I want you to write them down. Well, that could be a stupid... No, I don't care. Just write some stuff down and, and tell me. Share them. And not only just share them with me, but, but make it happen. Make it happen. I'm not going to be able to do everything. There's going to be times when you're going to say, hey, i got a great idea for this. I'm going to be like, hey, go do it then. Organize it. Plan it. Let's do it. I'm game, but I'm doing all this. You're going to you're gonna have to figure this out. Man, that's, that's what a church does. Man, yes, we grow together as a body of believers. We reach out. Remember the first Sunday we ever had together? And I said, we're not going to be focused internally. We're going to be focused externally on what's outside of those. At that time, it was a much smaller room, those four walls. Now we got four bigger walls. And it's still the same thought. What goes on outside of these walls is just as important what goes on in these, in these walls. What we're doing to, to reach out, to love, to, to invite, yes, to share the gospel, to give, to help, to step into our communities. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Part of, show, part of sharing the gospel is not just sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is the most important part, but it's showing the gospel in us and our love to people. Our purpose statement as we finish up for love and action, Coastline is a place that looks for needs and meets them. We'll do what we can, church. We're a small church. We don't have billions of dollars, but we're going to do what we can. We're going to give and know that God's going to bless us and give back. We're going to, we're going to give sacrificially. And even if God doesn't give back, we're going to be all right because we're going to know that we're serving people. It's a place that looks for needs and meets, meets them. We are a picture of Jesus to all those within our reach, no matter their background. To the best of our ability, we will pour love 
into our community. Church, that's our heart. That's part of our core values, having love and action. As we spend a moment in prayer just right now, would you ask God to use you in our church? Would you find someone to pray with? Maybe your spouse is here or someone else. Find someone to pray with and ask God to bless our church and to give us opportunities to serve. Soon, man, soon Christmas is coming, Thanksgiving is coming, baskets we can make for people. Man, find someone to pray with in just a moment when the piano begins to play and ask God to use us. And ask God, search your own heart. Man, am I, am I, am I, is my pride showing? Are my priorities misplaced? What, what do I believe my purpose is? And think of this story. And may God use Coastline to show love and action to our community. Lord, we love you so much. We need you. I ask you to bless our people. I ask you to bless our efforts as we go forward, trying to help people, trying to show the love of Jesus to people. Would you use us, Lord? God, you are, you've done so much for us. Would you help us to reach out to others? Would you help us to show love and action? to all those around us. We need you. We love you. We thank for all you've done for us. Bless this time of prayer together. Lord, help us to search our hearts and be honest with ourselves. Your precious and holy name. Amen.